from the Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. It's Friday, November 6th, 2020. We usually put out our new episodes on Monday, and we usually spend a little more time setting up the story ahead of our explainer. But because we still don't have a winner for the 2020 presidential election and things are moving quickly, we're going to cut to the chase and get right to the interview. This week, I wanted to have someone on who could give us a big picture breakdown on where we are, how we got here, and in the midst of all this chatter, what we really need to focus on. Our guest is Tommy Binion. Tommy is Vice President of Heritage's Government Relations. He's responsible for all of our programs on Capitol Hill and our engagement with the White House. He speaks with members of Congress and the administration regularly. When I need to know what the next big battle is and what issues we need to focus on, I call Tommy. He's a straight shooter, and he's pretty funny, too. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Michelle. It's, it's great to be a guest on one of my favorite podcasts in the whole world. You're too kind. Okay, to get us warmed up here, as of right now, can you just give us a brief update on where we are? What states are up for grabs? Is this over? Where are we? Well, we don't know who the winner is. There are four slash five states outstanding who are still counting ballots, uh, and there could still be recounts in some of those states. Specifically, I'm looking at the state of Georgia, where there is very likely to be a recount at this point. The president would have to carry Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and one of Arizona or Nevada to get to 270 electoral votes. So his path is narrowing, but there's also outstanding litigation in most of those states uh, being brought by the Trump campaign. So this is far from over. We do not yet know who won the White House. Um, we may know soon, or we may have to wait quite some time for this litigation to play out. Uh, it, it, there is a lot unknown right now, but there are still um, some things we do know. For example, uh, the, the majority in the Senate is going to play out in a runoff election in Georgia, actually two runoff elections in Georgia for two separate Senate seats. Uh, it won't be until January 5th when we know the results of that runoff. We also know that Republicans are going to pick up seats in the House, uh, and we know that uh, Democrats failed to flip a single state legislator. So there are a lot of election results that are certain at this point. What is the headcount in the Senate right now? How important are those two runoffs? Uh, they're extremely important. If Republicans hold in Alaska, which we expect, and North Carolina, which we expect, they'll be sitting at 50 Senate seats. Uh, that means that there are two up for grabs in Georgia, which will decide the majority. If it's 50-50, then whoever is president, uh, their vice president, uh, will be able to break ties and break the tie for control in the Senate. So if the, if the uh, Biden-Harris ticket ends up winning the White House and it ends up 50-50, which could happen if Democrats flip both those Senate seats in Georgia, then Democrats will control the Senate. On the other hand, uh, even if uh, Senator Harris becomes Vice President Harris and Republicans maintain control of those two Senate seats in Georgia, then it would be 52 to 48 Republicans in the majority in the Senate. So the, the, the balance really does depend on Georgia. 
So to say this has been a complicated election is an understatement, and it seems that everything that we hoped would not have gone wrong did. And some of the things we predicted they would go wrong. What were the biggest mistakes and what should we have done differently? What happened is in many of these states, especially blue states, um, COVID was used as a pretext to um, change the way that the elections were going to be contested. Um, In many states, ballots were mailed to everybody on the voter rolls. And uh, I think everybody listening to this podcast will know that voter rolls are notoriously inaccurate. And so uh, we expanded opportunities for mail out ballots. We expanded opportunities for mailing in ballots. Absentee balloting was expanded as well. And so in almost all of these states, there are hundreds of thousands and in some states, millions of ballots cast by mail, which take longer to count. Um, And the longer the count is delayed, the more questions that arise. So um, in the states where it's close, uh, those ballots have made all the difference. We've also got some problems in states. The Trump campaign specifically is alleging that they're not able to observe the counting process, as is guaranteed by state law. Uh, What does observation mean and what does meaningful access mean? These are issues that are going to be decided by the courts if this litigation persists. COVID-19, yes, but also what the Democrats pushed as election changes in response to COVID-19 has really thrown a wrench in the counting process. Here's what's most important. Americans have to have election results we can count on. We have always had election results we can count on. And when there have been questions, those questions have been answered by our judiciary. They've been answered by our courts. In 2000, they were answered by our Supreme Court. And so this system is durable. We can be reasonably assured that at the end of this process, we're going to have a result we can count on. We don't have it right now, but by the end of this process, it should be our hope that we do. And I have faith in the American system. I have faith in the, in the federal system of contesting elections that we're going to get there. So as you've mentioned, Trump has a few lawsuits out right now, um, and more and more weird examples of fraud are popping up. Like you said, ballot counting being done in the dark, um, and obviously some of the counts in certain states are, you know, razor-thin margins. How long will this take to hash out with lawsuits like this, and what does that process look like? Well, it's going to take quite a while. Step one, we've got to finish the counting. Step two, we've got to do the recounts if the recounts are required. And that's also going to vary by state law, and it's going to vary based on what the differential is between the two candidate votes. Litigation is going to be ongoing throughout step one and two, and it's not going to finish until after both steps one and two are completed. Um, And that is because the litigation concerns which ballots can and can't be counted. Uh, In order to get to a place where the courts are deciding which ballots can and can't be counted, it's, it's likely we, we're going to wind up with a subset of ballots, and that subset has to be big enough to change the result, or else the litigation won't matter as much, right? If, if we're talking about 10,000 ballots in question, but the difference in, in the candidates is 20,000 ballots, well, then that litigation doesn't matter. So in order to get to pivotal, landmark litigation that's going to decide this election, we have to have a, a finite number of states 
with a finite number of ballots in question, and we have to have um, a, a decent case for and against those ballots. Our court system is adversarial and guarantees that both sides will be heard. That is going to take quite a while. And in 2000, it took 37 days. And let me give you a finish line here. The Electoral College is going to meet on January the 6th. And it is likely the Supreme Court, uh, if it has to, will help states have the ability to appoint their electors by that date. So that would be the finish line. The only um, um, comparable we have is 2000, and that took 37 days. And that was just one state in question, correct? Yeah, that, that was Florida. Um, and there was a subset of ballots in Florida that was in question. Those were the ballots with the hanging chads, the infamous hanging chads. And the number of ballots was indeed big enough to sway the results in Florida. And then Florida had a big enough number of electoral college votes to sway the national election. So all those ingredients have to be in place. And we have not yet boiled this soup down to just those ingredients. I'm really interested in your takeaway from the exit polls. Just really quickly, what were some of the most fascinating findings for you? Well, the, 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 the biggest one, uh, let, let me give you two. Point number one is that President Donald Trump won a higher share of non-white voters than any Republican since 1960. That means he increased his popularity amongst um, Black Americans and Hispanic Americans and women. Um, in fact, the, the, the only place he lost ground was amongst white men. Um, that, I, I think, is evidence that uh, the left's longstanding strategy of responding to every conservative with charges of racism is an abject failure. I think that means that um, Black Americans and Hispanic Americans want substance and they're attracted to conservative policies. It also means that um, uh, Republicans going forward are going to pay, uh, uh, hopefully, a lot more attention um, to, to, to those groups. And it also, you know, um, it means that Republicans don't have to change their message. Conservatives don't have to change their message. Uh, they can appeal to those groups uh, with the message they have now. I think that that is uh, an understanding that is setting in and it's going to be a game changer in national politics. One other observation, and this is about the radical agenda of the left, it is not ascending. Progressivism, socialism, defund the police, the Green New Deals, these are ideas that hurt Democrats. Specifically, they hurt House and Senate Democrat hopefuls, people trying to win seats in the House and Senate. Those ideas actually hurt those Democrats. We know this. One thing that happened yesterday, and this was so interesting, uh, the Democrats in the House held a family meeting, a conference call amongst Democrat House members, where there was bickering and infighting um, about this concept. Democrat members from marginal districts um, were, were, were angry that these ideas had cost them support in their district. And so I think the radical agenda of the left um, is on the run, uh, and that is uh, that is something that is going to be a, a feature of American politics over the next two years is exactly how stuck with that agenda is the Democratic Party. Lastly, I think a lot of conservatives are scared right now. Um, 
you know, even we go back to what you were saying previously about litigation that could go on until early January. And then you've, you've got a lot of the, the left excited, happy, thinking that Biden wins and prospects of civil unrest if things were to change. Or what if Biden does win? Um, what does that mean for America and, you know, all of these talks of socialism? I think the media is also to to blame for this fear. They've played a heavy hand in that. And we have this perfect storm with a pandemic. What would you say to those conservatives who are scared right now? Well, there's no reason to be scared. Um, there is a reason to operate with skepticism. There is a reason to be paying attention to what's going on. There is a reason uh, to be, um, well, Donald Trump has a right to, to um, bring these lawsuits uh, and, and he has the ability and the opportunity to make the case. As Americans, we've got to rely on the rule of law to carry us through this. We have to rely on our court system and the durability of our constitutional government. We've faced this in the past and we'll face it again. And I think we'll get through it just fine. We're going to have an answer we can count on. We don't have it today, but eventually we will, we will have a winner of this presidential contest and we will be able to rely on those election results. Uh, that is up to the court system to give that to us, and I think that they will. I also think, and I want to point this out, uh, a, you know, close to 50% of Americans voted for President Donald Trump. They are fearful that this election was not contested in a fair way. Well, what are they doing about that? We've not seen rioting. We've not seen looting. We've not seen political violence. Instead, Things are playing out as they should in the United States of America. We are urging votes being counted. Every legal vote needs to be counted. That is the battle cry of conservatives that are upset about this election right now. Um, and they are relying on the system, the legal system that is in place. We are not seeing civil unrest. We are seeing, uh, we're seeing a system at work. So we've got to be patient. We've got to give it time. We've got to have a little faith, but also trust, but verify. Let's follow President Reagan's advice. Let's trust that these election results are going to be right, but let's look under the hood. Let's let's verify it ourselves. That certainly made me feel a little bit better. Tommy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Michelle. And that's it for this week's episode. I wanted to highlight that in the past 72 hours, Heritage's election fraud database has seen a thousand percent increase in web traffic. Visit heritage.org and check it out. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Stay safe, stay healthy, hang in there, America, and we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by John Pop.